a lot of perspective from a lot of years of doing what I've done and doing what I'm doing. And my observation is that some people are rock solid in their faith and no matter what changes and circumstances come their way, I mean, they are rock solid, while others seem to be blown about and off course by any and every wind of change. And there's a lot of stuff going on, sometimes just in the last week, but some of you are so glad to kiss 22 goodbye, and you're hoping that, that 23 will not have some of the speed bumps and the hurdles in it. But I ask myself about that view of life and say sometimes why, why well, I want to I suggest this morning as we get ready for our 21 jump start next Sunday and, and, and to follow, that I believe it comes down to the order in our lives. Because our priorities create an impact, our life experiences. Priorities, I like to say, create trajectory. And trajectory depends, it, it, it impacts what? Where we land. Agreed? So let's get it right. God firsters. So as our spiritual life is, I, I've challenged you about this, and I come back to that today, that our spiritual life goes as the order of what we offer to God goes. He is a God of first things. And I'd just like to eradicate this business of, of giving God the first because it's not, and, and we, we've taught on this many times, but when we think about it, we need to think about returning. And even the things I'm talking today about specifically that we need to do, disciplines, it's not about giving God anything, it's about returning. Is there a difference? Yeah, because in other words, everything that we're returning came from him. He's the source, not us. So the order in which we offer our lives to God is critically, critically important. I don't believe it's legalistic at all. It could be viewed that way, but that's not how I'm trying to teach it. In a life empowered by God's Holy Spirit living in us, order matters because God is always first. God must always be first in your life to have the spiritual success that you want to have. He's the God of first things. When we get this order, when we settle it, and I talk a lot about that word, when we get it settled deep in our hearts and establish God's purposes, his firstness, I believe Matthew 6.33 really comes into focus, and here it is, very familiar to you, many of you. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. In other words, everything else will follow suit, Right? But that's what happens to us when we say my identity is not in this, that, and the other of our culture. My identity is this. I am a child of God. That affects everything that follows. That means God's first. It's not about easy believism where I prayed a quick prayer and nothing really changed. It's a dramatic place. It's, it's a statement of surrender. I am God's child. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. He owns me. So we want to dig into that. Always seeking God first in everything. And so I want to talk about some of those practical things that we can do moving into this new year. But I believe as we do, it'll have a huge impact on the way we invest the consistent influence of our lives, especially in front of our children and grands. Oh my, how they need to see consistency and experience that in their lives. Agreed? So, just some reminders. I'm sure we've talked about these things. My lands, when you've been at a church 20-some years like I have, you think about, you've talked about the whole Bible. And New Year's and Christmas, you think you're just repeating yourself, but we could talk about this every single year. So let's break it down, first of all. I just want to challenge you 
to seek him and to, to return to him, to return to him. And I'll probably say give, and you just shout it out and correct me. Return, Pastor, return, okay? We need to re- re- return the first day to him. Um, and in so doing that symbolically, I would say this, and I know we're all different, we have different rhythms, but I'm talking about returning to God the first hour of the day. And I'm not even talking about the whole hour, but I'm talking about in the first hour. Doesn't it just make sense to, that in the first hour you'd look up and recognize that I'm going to praise God from whom all blessings flow? Does that make sense? It's that your number one priority if he's first, and, and most of us wake up probably on our back looking up, so we might as well just focus on him and to communicate with him in that first hour. I love Psalm 63, 1a that says, oh God, you are my God. I am a child of God. I, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Does it make any sense for you to think we probably ought to seek him early in the day? That we ought to probably, while we're still on our back, just go palms up and say, I'm yours, Lord, I receive from you and I give back to you. I'm, I'm yours, I, I live for you. This relationship is what I'm gonna pursue in all things, no matter what I do or where I go today. So I challenge you to make spending time with God first priority and refuse to give him the leftovers, as I often say, the scraps of time and life. I believe that'll set the tone for the day. Now, you can, I hear some of you saying already, you get defensive. I'm a night person. That's not about Well, good. Give them the night, too. But start in the morning, first thing, and just raise your hand and acknowledge who he is and his faithfulness. Pray for his blessing and protection over your lives, your kids and your grand, whether they're here or there, wherever they may be. And I believe Jesus set this example for us. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, they must have had time change back then, too. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he, what, he prayed. He had fellowship with the Father. And I guess I figured that if he needed time alone with the Father, I probably do too. Any takers there? We do too. But I would remind you quickly, and I alluded to it, that seeking him first doesn't mean that that's the end of it. Hey, talk to you, see you tomorrow morning, bright and early. I just think that helps us focus that we're more mindful of him as we move through the day. Right? Lord, I can't wait today to see what, what you're going to do in and through me. I can't wait for the lives that I may be able to touch, the kindness I can show. I can't wait for the opportunity to do for one. Lord, help me to be sensitive and aware of your presence when you do. I'm going to point and praise, even if it's at noon or one or three or whatever it may be throughout the day. It's about positioning him in our lives. I guarantee you we're all in various states of relational connections in this room and online and I can, tell, I can tell you this morning for sure that your relationship is only as good as the connection that you have, the communication. Agreed? Not was, but is. And I want to tell you, that doesn't just work this way, though it does. It also works this way, huh? Because for some of us, that communication has really distanced throughout this year because all the stuff, and it's legitimate stuff, and busyness, and here, there, and setbacks, and challenges, but it's about restoring this, seeking him, and getting him First things, returning that to him. Why in the world would you, would we not want to communicate with Jesus the first thing of each day? What a way to start the day. I'm sure I've challenged you in years past, but I want to say again that I think as a pastor, I've been doing this for 40-some years now in various roles, and I would say that the number one marital advice I could give to any couple who is struggling is that, if you would commit this year to start every morning you can with prayer, 
it would drastically change the outcome of this year. But I, I, I would say that, that if we did a poll just for the people within the sound of my voice today, there's a very, very small percentage of people that do that. And I've heard all kinds of reasons, excuses why, but I'm just telling you, why is it so difficult? I think it's because Satan will fight that more than anything else because he knows that when you pray together, incredible things happen. And we can look back and we can have remorse about what could have, might have, should have been, and that's not the purpose today. It's just saying, setting our face forward, we're gonna make sure these things change starting today, tonight, right now. Seek him, first thing. Give him the first moments. Uh, even if you listen to the Bible on your way to work, still start with your back on the bed, just lifting your hands and saying, God, I'm yours, you're mine, I love you, I'm all yours today, all right? Hurrying on, the second thing I would encourage you to do is let's give him the first of the week. So the first moments of the day, we return that to him, but we also return the first day. The Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is a gift to us, but we need to return it back to him. So that means the first day of the week, we're going to choose to worship God. It's necessarily together with him and with each other. Now, we've done so many things over the blessing season. We have people that are, my heart's breaking today. There's always such good things happen, hard things happening. But I'm so thankful that we're able to be online because I've heard testimony after testimony from shut-ins as we did communion, as we split up and did so many people. They just said, I'm so thankful that I couldn't be at Christmas night of worship. I couldn't be there, but, but I could be there online, and I'm thankful for that. But you know what they almost always tell me without fail and tell us? Something like this. I love it. I'd give anything to be there in person. And I'm so thankful for all the opportunities we have. Some of you now, you do church when you're on vacation because you can go online. You could, you could see us from England, and we can see you or wherever you may be. But there's nothing like being together. Agreed? Some of you that were stranded traveling, have some dear friends here stranded traveling through this last crazy week, and what's the sole purpose? I mean, why didn't you just stay where you were and, and do FaceTime or whatever, Skype or whatever with your kids? Because you live for the reunion, don't you? You want to be together. Because somehow the Lord knows that we need each other, we need to be together, and that's never going to change. Never going to change. Never, never going to change. And I jotted here in the margin that in America, the last three years, no one knows what a regular tender is as far as worship goes. I mean, it was all over the charts before, but I guarantee you, probably nowadays, a regular tender would show up in person probably every four to six weeks, and that may be generously liberal. So just take it for what it's worth. You can get defensive, but there's no substitute for being together. There's no substitute for being together whenever we possibly can. And I think Acts lays it out uh, very well. Acts 27, the A part of the verse, on the first day of the week, we came together. We came together. Um, Acts 2, let's look on at verse 44 and a couple of others after that. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper. In other words, on top of that, they met in homes and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people because there's something about gathering that just impacts the longing of the heart. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wow, it's the warmth, it's the contagiousness of fellowship. And 
I'm all for doing whatever really works for you. You know your situation. But I just want to caution us against becoming spiritually lazy. And it's just easier not to, so we don't. And I wonder what we miss out on when we don't. Huh? What about the people that need to hear you? They need to see you. I've, I've been playing this over and over again. We think of the church and we think of people as being needy, needy, needy. I'm telling you, you're needed, needed, needed. Your story, your life, your inspiration, you are needed to make up the body of Christ. It's not the same without you. And I'm not being critical because of where you've been the last few years. I'm just telling you, this has shown me more than ever, we need each other. We need each other. Oh, man, I got choked up this morning when, you know, over the, the craziness, and, and we had a lot here last week, but not what we normally do. And some of the little kids that just left their parents and came running up and said, Pastor, and they gave me the biggest hugs. I would have missed that if I'd just been tuning in. I don't want to miss that. These people in the New Testament church, they got it. They knew that they desperately needed others, that they were needed to. And I think that stands in stark culture contrast to our culture nowadays, be a, ah, if nothing else interferes or whatever, yeah, that's kind of my default setting, I'll show up. I may have showed this story before, but I love stories like this. A couple came to a life-giving church, of which we are. We're not the only one. There's other life-giving churches, but Worcesternes is a life-giving church, not a perfect church for sure, not perfect leaders, perfect people. But a particular couple came to this church and they were really struggling in their marriage and their family life. It seemed like just their life was chaotic. And there they were unconditionally embraced and loved. They received counsel and, and they received salvation and fellowship in this dynamic life-giving group. They were saved and they began to serve regularly before long. On this journey, which is what it is, they had some kind of a setback, some kind of a distraction, and, and they were kind of embarrassed about it, so they just pulled back further. They pulled away, and they began to isolate. In fact, they disappeared for many, many months. Oh, they, I could, I could write and rewrite this story because I see it so many times. Well, the wife realized that things were going south in their home, and she got up the courage to come by herself again, and upon entering the foyer, literally, she just broke down and began to weep because she felt the spirit, capital S, and she also felt the warmth of the people and the excitement and the expectancy, the anticipation in the air. After the service, when she was greeted warmly by one of the pastors, she said, I cannot believe, I cannot believe that I forgot how much I need this place. And how many of you know it's not a place it's not space, it's each other. And I pray that there's no other church on the face of this earth that's a more hugging church than we are. Because I think Jesus was a hugger. We talked about that a little bit last week, didn't we? He said, let the children come to me. Can you just see them swarming all over him? Hebrews reminds us the importance of this when it says, and I'll just pick up um, verse 24 of Hebrews 10, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's the byproduct of being sold out and surrendered to him. But the next verse says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And I gotta tell you, the day of his return is, draw is nearer than it was last Sunday, right? Especially now, we need each other. So the first day of the week belongs to the Lord. Let's return it to him. Not give it to him, but return. Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the first moments of each day, whatever that looks like for me, but I wanna do it as a discipline too. It can still be an act motivated, motivated by love. 
but I'm going to give you the first day. I'm going to return the first day of the week to you. And then I just want to hit briefly on what we shared in November, and, and God is helping us so much, but to return to him the first of the month, the first of the month. And I'm going to say again, I just want to touch on it, that in that we've specifically been teaching, we're unapologetic for it, that that means that we return the first to him. We believe the first 10% to him. Leviticus 27.30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or the fruit of the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. That's why we return it. How many of you know that anything we have doesn't belong to us? It really comes from him. Agreed? It's, it's his. It's his. We just need to be really good at returning. It helps us from getting hold of things that aren't going to provide what we're really looking for, the significance so we return the first, and I harped on this, and I so believe it, this order idea, because the first is the best. It's not our own choosing. No, just the first, we release that. That is symbolic. There's nothing legalistic about that, but it helps put our lives in perspective or in proper order, if you will, and I believe that provision and, profession, provision and blessings follow that order of God being first in a practical way. In other words, to me, like when Dixie and I, I, I do our finances largely, uh, she runs the, the household with the week and all that, but, but every time I, I do the checks at the beginning of the month and I, and I plan ahead, that reminds me that God's first because every expenditure comes after that return. Does that make sense to you? That may be legalistic, but I need reminders just like I need a timer if I have something in the oven. The Lord forbid that I ever cook, but if I did... <laughs> It belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. I, I love Robert Morris. Uh, he's a wonderful pastor, and, and he has TV presence and does all kind of wonderful things. Planted a church that's now, oh, man, 40,000, 50,000. I don't know what it is. But he just really, he, he does some of the best stuff on teaching, uh, on, on returning and, and giving that I've ever seen or, or read about in his books. We've talked about them in the past. But he tells this story, and forgive me if I've repeated it, but I, I love it because uh, he had just drilled and grilled into his kids, I forget how many he has, but about, about returning and about honoring God in that way. In fact, he said in another spot, I heard him say recently or read, that one of his daughters started dating somebody who was in church, a young man. So the first thing dad did was he went to the giving records and checked to make sure that, that this boy she was dating was a returner. And he told her, he told them what he did. But that put the guy over the hump. I mean, it gave him favor because the, the pastor could see that long before he was dating his daughter, he was a faithful returner. So his son got a job, his first job, of all things, working at Chick-fil-A. You remember the story? And, uh, and, and that time they paid well. I mean, you know, uh, whatever the wage scale was then. But so so uh, his family actually went to that restaurant when he wasn't working to eat together. And a family rule always, when they gathered around the table, wherever it was, Cell phones had to be in the pocket of the purse. They were not to be visible during family meals in any way, shape, or form. Boy, that'd be a good thing to do the first of, wouldn't it? Park our phone somewhere else. Well, this boy, this boy right in the middle of their meal, somewhere between the fries and the Chick-fil-A sandwich and the chocolate shake, he pulled out his phone and started texting away, and his father noticed it. His father isn't, isn't uh, he's bold. He was upset and quickly reprimanded him, leading off him, what are you doing? And he goes, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dad. I just got notification of my first paycheck. It just hit my account. So I was just texting God's tithe to the church. How many of you know that dad's attitude changed in a hurry? 
His frustration immediately turned and was filled with a sense of pride. He even took a picture marking the moment of breaking his own rule, no phone at the table. But you see, that came because of the consistency of his life. And I, I remember my dad, the pastor 40 some years, telling over and over, he said, if you can teach the kids and the grands about putting God first, they won't have a problem with it when they become adults. Agreed? That's where you win the battle. These children had been taught that returning, for years returning the first of all their increase to God, the tithe, that that was a spiritual act. And they were taught that it was holy, that it belongs to God, not to me. And this teenage boy ended up giving that family a lesson. The first belongs to God. Now, I would just say this before I move to the, the final point, that some of you may be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Don't worry, you'll hear it again at some point in time. If I returned the first 10% of all increase to God this year, I'd have to totally rearrange my life. Yeah? <clears throat> That's the point. God is first. Whether he's first in your life or home or not, he's still first. Tune up. Get in tune. Tune that instrument. The instrument of returning. I was talking to a loyal churchman that doesn't have much back understanding, not from our church. This, in this last week or two, I had a great conversation. And I was so touched because he was talking about it. And, and he just comes from no background understanding. But he has grown, and he's so loyal and, and a committed layman in his church. And he was just saying how he's been these last week preparing ahead of time for what he's going to return in the new year. And that's something that really touched my heart. I didn't tell him at the time. I remembered it later. I, I need to, I, I, I'm going to commend him for that. But a, a, a reminder is 2 Corinthians 9, 7 that says, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give, and I'll say also to return. So it's your decision, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure from a pastor or anybody else, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, joyfully. Oh God, you're first in my life and my business. I am a child of God in all things you're first. So even before you bless me, I choose to worship you in this way. This year I'm gonna live God first, palms up. I think I referred to this passage in my series in November, Deuteronomy 14, 23, the end of that verse that says, the purpose of tithing, or we call it returning, is to teach you always to put God first in your life. Hey, if we're gonna learn we gotta get practical, don't we? Yeah. And then finally, coming into 21 Jumpstart, uh, giving him the first of the year, that's what we're trying to do collectively as a church body. We're kinda trying to tithe the year, and we can't think of a better way to do it than starting out 21 days together in prayer, in fasting, worshiping, seeking God, men and women of the word. Could we do that? And by the way, I wanna challenge you too, going about seeking God going back to seeking God the first moments of the day, return those to him. There's absolutely, positively no excuse for not taking God's word into our lives regularly now. We have more resources than ever. We have multiple Bibles in our homes, and you have them, I have them. And we have a thing like a great app like YouVerse where you can pick and choose topically. You can do through the Bible. I, just please, take time even today if you haven't. Activate, find a short one. Don't find, don't, you don't have to go through the Bible. You could go through the Bible in one year, two years, three years, whatever it is. You can listen to it. You can read along. You can do whatever. But I, but I challenge you to get practical. Even before this day, January 1st has passed, 
I, I did three different things last year, and I, I'm having to reboot all those now and decide what I'm going to do for this year. But I want to challenge you for that. But, but the fasting, and probably this works into that because we don't have time, don't have time, or don't have attention. That's why we need to put some discipline fasting in our lives to, to free up some time, to free up some God space, if you will. So the first of this year, we want to offer God a fast. And if you have that card, if you don't, there's still some more on the info desk, and there may be ushers that have them. But please go to the back side, and it tells you about the, the sun's coming up, the Sunday's coming up, and the series. We're going to do all things new. Um, but it also on the back has like one, two, three specific things. And I hope you'll respond to those if you haven't already and say, these are specific things. And ask the Lord saying, Lord, what would you have me to do this year? But, but make sure that you're dialed in on all of those. For you, we're not doing a one size fits all. We're just asking in these different areas that you create some God space in this way. And maybe you've never done that before, but fasting is really about a sacrificial act of worship, if you will, where we deny ourselves so we can press into God's presence so fasting as a discipline, and it is that, it's a spiritual discipline, it could be, uh, there's, there's a number of things, it could be this and more, but, but it could be a discipline against certain food addictions that you've got to break habits because they're not good for you. You could be fasting because you're really concerned about somebody emotionally, physically that needs healing. You could fast because you have a big decision to make and you don't know exactly what to do. You can seek clarity and you can hear from God more clearly. You can have a greater sense of God's presence. You can be more sensitive, fast to become more sensitive to his spirit's prompting or just to have more of his fire in your life and presence. But I wanna encourage you to jump on that one at least to do one thing in this area of fasting. But I'm reminded, and scripture teaches that, and I won't go into it in great deal, but, but I'll read it that says, you know, we don't point to ourselves when we're fasting, we're to point to God, exactly. Got it? Matthew 6, 17 says, but when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice your fasting except your father. How many of you know that your father's watching and he's really proud and he says, well done? And who knows what you do in private? The father does, he's watching. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Um, it's God-focused time. That's what fasting is about. Pointing and praising during this time. And, and the reason we're trying to do 21 days because they tell us over and over that if we, if we would do that successfully and faithfully, that that might create a habit that's gonna endure throughout the year and throughout our lives. That's what we're doing. We're looking for life change. But we believe that as we corporately do that, as individuals, and we bring that together, that's gonna create a positive trajectory that's gonna change the whole landing point of Worcester Naz in this year. So maybe you're thinking today, like, man, when food becomes an issue and I'm hungry, the only thing that makes me is grumpy. I know you're not, but you live with somebody in your house and it makes them grumpy. How in the world does that bless God? Let me read Galatians, see if you can tie this to fasting, to denying, to discipline yourself in some ways. Galatians 5, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And I'm suggesting the spiritual discipline, all the things we've mentioned, but fasting as well. That battle rages between what God wants many times and what we want. 
I say, and I've been saying for years now probably, that the spirit represents your want to, and our flesh sometimes represents our feel like it, and those things are, are both seem to be hungry. And here's the question I have moving forward. Which one are you going to feed? Yes? Because I can tell you this, whichever one you feed is going to grow. Which one will it be? Deny our fleshly appetites what it feels like for the sole purpose of feeding on what the Spirit of God wants who is living in us. We're called to live Spirit-led, Spirit-directed, Spirit-filled lives, and that calls for us to deny our flesh, to take up our cross and to follow Him, feed what the Spirit desires, intimacy with the Father, saturation with the living Word, lives of worship and faith and obedience, And what it comes down to is this. What we're trying to call people to is not, again, just an easy believism. Oh, yeah, I believe, I believe, and I go on like nothing's changed. But I believe so deeply that it shapes and it gives direction to my life. And it's called a surrendered life, a spirit-controlled life. That's going to shape the destiny of this year. I can't tell you about the circumstances, the setbacks, ups and downs, and all the things that are going to happen this year. But I can tell you, if you've settled in your heart, if you live completely, diff- completely surrendered to him, the outcome at the end of this year is going to be completely different than if you don't. Any agreement out there in the house today? Joel 1.14 talks about the fast as I conclude. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord, your God, and cry out to him there. How many of you know you can do that all the time, anytime, and it's great to do alone, but isn't it better when we gather, two or three are gathered, and we, when we gather in, in, in force and cry out to him? We're going to be having pray Monday a week from tomorrow, and that would be a great thing to come together corporately to do that as we gather for an hour at least on, on that Monday. Put that in your docket if you would. God wants us who make up Worcester Naz to have more faith-filled, to have a a greater spirit-powered year than ever before. But that only happens when we put God first. God's first. He's preeminent. He's supreme. In just a moment, I'm going to have the team come back, and we're going to sing that God is in control. I think that's so appropriate moving forward. God's first. If I know anything, I know this, that life-giving churches are made up of a huge contingency of God-firsters. And I believe, again, I I can't tell you what the uncertainties are ahead. There's so much that's uncertain about, about our world. But I believe that gatherings of Jesus, where there's a lot of god firsters, I believe they will thrive even in very difficult days. Agreement? And I wanna be on that side. Sometimes it's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming, but I just say, Lord, I'm yours. I just want to make a difference where you've planted me. I just want Worcester Church. I want Worcester Naz to make a difference. That's all. I can't change the world, but I can offer you me. And would you direct us in the way that you want us to go? Well, a couple of my life verses, and I have several, one of which you know by now, John 12, 28. I pray this so many times throughout the year, and I plan to pray it again this year. Father, bring glory to your name. Father, in this instance, bring glory to your name. That's a practical breath prayer for me, but also Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, that's family language, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be living in a holy sacrifice, a kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It's not in a song, it's in the surrender. Yes? Don't eat copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's what some of these disciplines will begin to do. It'll, it'll, it'll turn things up and it'll help us to get our thinking changed, our perspective changed. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. How does that sound? Yeah? I meant to say last week, but I, I did not mention it. I didn't have a second service to correct myself. But I think I heard Tim Keller say something like this, a wonderful pastor. I think he wrote something like this. If you had God's perfect perspective, you'd understand and agree. And I added, if you knew what God knows, you do what he does. You do what he did. Huh? God is in control. He reigns forevermore. I, I think I did hit last week that sometimes our wondering about God and our unanswered questions, we think that diminishes God. No, that embellishes him. That magnifies him. We're saying Christ be magnified. He's, I can't have perfect understanding. If I had him all figured out, I wouldn't need it. I wouldn't need him. But there's so much I don't know. And I say, Lord, I just want your perspective. I trust you. I settle. And I not only give you my sin, we're good at that, because who doesn't want to get rid of that manure load? But it's the self issue we choke on. So I just want to ask you in closing, could, could you sing this song as your testimony? God is on the throne. Come ahead, team. Come ahead. Um, have you ever surrendered your life completely to him? That includes... Nothing left out. Not your kids, not your grands, not your aspirations, not your career. Nothing. God is on the throne. If not, could I challenge you to do that? That's when revelation comes a reality. 21.5. Behold, I will make all things new. What I tell you is trustworthy and true. And then finally in 2 Corinthians 5.17, and I don't have this on the screen, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. A new life has begun. Father, thank you so much for another new year that we can look forward to and embark on together. Thank you for the promise of your presence. So we want to be good returners. We want to be God-firsters, recognizing that everything we have, everything we have comes from you, and we want to return first things to you. The first moments of the day, we want to give you the first day of the week in worship and honor. We want to return the first 10% and then some, whatever, to you as a reminder. And we want to set aside in this 21 Jumpstart some specific pressing in, some fasting disciplines that will help us draw closer to you. And thank you in advance for testimonies that are coming forth through this time and for new directions. So, Lord, as we conclude today, we sing from the bottom of our hearts as a testimony, God is on the throne. Amen.